For centuries, art has been a powerful, expressive tool that can not only make a statement, but also launch a movement that can transform the world. Today's conversation with Dr. Corolla Salvi, artist of the exhibit The Power of the Other Hand, focuses on art that makes a statement about domestic violence and the transformation that art might invoke when we view in detail the faces of women who experience violence. I'm Maria McMullen, and this is Genesis, the podcast. Salvi has a PhD in cognitive neuroscience. She is a psychologist and artist born in Bergamo, Italy, studied psychology in Milan, and in 2010 moved to Chicago to study at Northwestern University. In 2019, she joined the psychiatry department at the Dell Medical Hospital at the University of Texas at Austin. Dr. Salvi's research focuses on the neural basis of creativity, specifically how people generate insightful ideas or aha moments. Dr. Salvi pioneered several breakthroughs in the field of creativity. Her scientific work has been quoted on several media outlets such as the Washington Post, BBC, Time.com, The New York Times, and Red Bull TV. In the last 12 years, Dr. Salvi's creative work has focused on film photography. In 2021, she started working on the theme of violence against women, thus producing her collection of paintings. In her paintings, Dr. Salvi always represents a lady with black hair and long eyelashes on a plain but colorful background, so that the subject is only the emotion expressed by the ladies. Pain, anger, sense of mistrust, fear, shock, become the only protagonists at stage. The colors in the background never derail the viewer from the subject, which are instead meant to give a punch to the emotions expressed by the ladies. The long eyelashes depicted are those of a woman who just cried, sticky because wet with tears. The decision to always paint the same lady comes from the common experience that women victims of domestic violence report. We are all Lady A, so to speak, after we are victims of domestic violence with no difference of age, status, religion, or education. Dr. Salvi contends that violence against women starts with sex. The artist purposefully chose to omit any element of sensuality in her ladies to make the viewer reflect on how domestic violence against women starts from their objectification as a sexual object and thus someone who is okay to punish. That is why to change the vicious cycle of power and control, we need to begin changing the image of women as sexual objects in the way we represent them. Dr. Salvi, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you for having me, Maria. So we're launching a series of discussions about art and domestic violence, and I'm so glad we're starting with your work because it's charged with not only passion, but also some quantifiable information related to violence against women. So I want to start with the exhibit, The Power of the Other Hand. What is the collection in that exhibit and how was it conceptualized? 
So thank you for asking me this question. Thank you for giving me, you know, this space to um, talk about the project. So the idea uh, of the project it was to create a collective of artists uh, who reflect on the theme of domestic violence. It started with, honestly, um, the pandemic and having like a lot, a lot of time to, you know, think about new ways to apply what I know and my time on, on, you know, a social cause. Also, on top of it, during the pandemic, we know that domestic violence, violence rate increased drastically. Mm -hmm. um, during that time, um, I decided to, you know, apply what I knew about creativity and art i've never been an artist before i mean i did film photography and stuff but i mostly dedicated my life to do research and to study creativity and neuroscience i always had like a passion for art but somehow i always thought that getting a phd in cognitive neuroscience would have been easier than becoming an artist <laughs> uh, <laughs> for for many reasons um so i never you know but i also never consider my art that stunning or that great to to just want it to become an artist so just i followed psychology and neuroscience as a passion so at the certain point in the pandemic just i had um i got exposed to many cases of women who have been victims of domestic violence. I heard a lot, a lot of stories. And because like in the lab where I, I work at the psychiatry department, AUT, they mostly study trauma as a result of, you know, violence or like even like veterans. They also say like PTSD and trauma. There is a lot of research done on the theme of, of, of domestic violence so i got exposed to it and i get the chance to study this even if it wasn't my my initial uh research topic and more i was studying it more i was learning about the neural correlates of ptsd and what is trauma and how that affects um victims and how hard it is to um try to you know, restore certain memories and try to overcome all of this. I was exposed to all of these stories. In the same time, there was a big, big mm, increase in domestic violence because of the pandemic. At a certain point, I got so touched that I decided one evening to just go home and do something physical about this. And I tried to paint all of the ladies that um, were telling me these stories and that's basically what I did in a way I know you're supposed as a psychologist you're supposed to stay detached from you know but I'm not a clinical psychology in that setting so I decided to paint them all and to just echo the stories that I heard in all the ladies that that I decided to paint as, a, as an outlet at the beginning. And then I thought, wait a minute, I can actually do something to help out more, to physically 
raise money and raise awareness against domestic violence. So we know that art has a very powerful um, leverage on emotions mm-hmm. and money. Right. Because we do it, it's crude, but you know, in order to provide shelter and legal assistance and research, we do need money. So I decided to work on on this, pursuing this cause, you know, just in this double line. In one case, I wanted to just use art as a leverage to make people reflect and try to understand what it means to be a victim of domestic violence. We know that art has specific, is able to touch specific um, chords and specific emotions in our mind more than any other instrument. I mean, if we think about songs or visual arts and think about movies, uh, they have the big, big power to you know, get to people. So if we're trying to fight domestic violence and raise awareness, I don't think there is a better tool to communicate to people what is suffering that these people that like victims are, um, are, are, are feeling. The other thing is literally, okay, so what I can do with art is not just raise awareness and try to get people to empathize with victims of domestic violence, but I can actually raise money for it. So it's a very simple and straightforward concept. Clearly, I wasn't a famous artist. So I reached out to friends and people who are probably more talented and uh, better artists than me. And I was like, hey, I'm going to start this project and I'm going to create a collective of artists to reflect on the theme of domestic violence, artists and scientists, because we are you know, a mix of both, to reflect on this theme. And I would like to organize events where we do sell art to raise money to help this for this cause. And, you know, it worked. <laughs> I literally sent out emails to, you know, the whole state of Texas. I knocked every door I knew. I tried to use all the resources I had. And I went, you know, very just passionate and motivated in trying to make this happening. So within like six, seven months, we were able to have our first art exhibit uh, at the Witty Museum in San Antonio. And, you know, we were actually able to accomplish this task that we, you know, we wanted to, we wanted to do. So um, now we became like a project and we have like more um, art exhibit uh, in line. And we're basically using the same model and applying the same um, idea to, you know, raise more money and then both do research and physically help organizations and institutions 
that are at the front line to provide you know support to victims of domestic violence thank you so much for sharing all of that background i, I didn't know uh, a lot of those specifics so that's extremely helpful and just looking at the exhibit online i find it hard to believe that you you this was your first <laughs> attempted at art because it's so powerful as you said in fact powerful is is right in the name of the mm -hmm. power is right in the name of the exhibit the power of the other hand um i i think the uh, the images just looking at I, I haven't seen them in person but just seeing them online they they do speak volumes to me as a person who works with victims of domestic violence when I was reading through the exhibit website, you mentioned Lady A mm -hmm. as, as being the only subject uh, in these paintings, because as you described, we are all Lady A, so to speak, after we are victims of domestic violence with no difference in age, status, religion, or education. And I suppose that is to say that domestic violence does not discriminate. Um, is there kind of a basis in science for using this approach or how did you develop it? So, yes, thank you for asking me this. Um, I thought a lot about this concept, actually, and this, this does come from trying to understand who are the victims of domestic violence. Um, so what I've learned actually, is that every human, women and men, on different percent, of course, you know, and children are all potential victims of domestic violence. Since domestic violence is not a phenomenon tied to the weakness of the victim, rather to the power and control of the abuser. I want to make this clear because it's not a matter of how weak people are, but it's how controlling the abuser and how powerful the abuser is. I often, when I hear people talking about domestic violence or referring to someone who had been a victim of domestic violence, they refer to these people as being weak, fragile, not being able to stand up for themselves and um, or just leave the situation where they were abused. I realized by talking to so many women and victims that that's not the case. I realized that I believe it is in certain circumstances, we are all at risk of becoming victims of domestic violence. And I do have a little bit of data on it, which is not my own data, but I refer to a very famous uh, experiments that was done in the 70s by uh, Dr. Zimbardo, like a lot of people are aware of it, is the Sanford Prison Experiments. I think on a different setting, it kind of demonstrated what I'm trying to, to convey. So um, 
basically the 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 experiment was originally uh, designed to examine the effect of situational variables on participants reaction from behaviors in a two-week simulation of a prison environment so basically what zimbardo was trying to do is to see how situational variables the fact that someone is for instance appointed as a prisoner or as a guardian mm, modify and change people's behavior. So basically what they did, they recruited uh, a group of participants from a local community. Um, they got them on a, you know, they put a call in the newspaper offering $15 per day um, to those who wanted to participate in this like psychological study of prison life so volunteers were chosen after like an assessment of psychological stability and then they were randomly assigned as being prisoners or being prison guards so there was like you know they actually they're saying that they flip a coin to decide who they've become a prisoner and who they've become a guard so um so these volunteers, uh, those volunteers that were selected as guards were given uniform and they were specifically given like an outfit that identified them as police officers. Those who were instead like prisoners were like given a number instead of like a name and they were like basically they identified from all of their like individual individual characteristics anyway so they put these people in this like um real but you know experimental scenarios and um you know to the point that like for instance they simulated the whole like prison experience to the point that like real prisoners were kind of like getting taken from home by the guards um, so that if they try to make it as real as possible. So unfortunately, what happens is that they had to stop the experiments after like six days because of the psychological abuses that prisoners were receiving by the guards. And we're talking about a simulation and we're talking about how just having received a role and a uniform creates the sense of power over you know people who are playing a game and they're being you know playing the game that they're being um, the, the prisoner in that in that scenario so i mean this situation made people act the way they do rather than who they are, which to me it says is a lot about the power of circumstances and how, you know, being in a certain situation shapes the way we behave. That this is also telling me no matter what our psychological characteristics are, no matter how strong, no matter how intelligent, no matter how tough we are, when we are in the hands of an abuser, we are all potential victims of domestic violence so i think it's important to make this claim since victims of domestic violence are as i said portrayed as like weak like children they're like fragile okay uh they're seen as those who cannot leave their abuser 
Well, you know what? I wish that it was easier than just leave the abuser because what I've learned is that mm, it's a matter of fear. That's why they don't leave their abuser because every victim of domestic violence know that the most dangerous moment and when they're more in danger and vulnerable to get killed is when they leave the abuser because the abuser doesn't have you know power and control over the victim that's when they're more likely to commit an homicide and it's also a matter of isolation social and financial of the victim it's a, this is a well-known tactic that abuser used to exert control it's a matter of years of gaslighting it's a matter of saying i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry so many times just to avoid being armed or strangled. Yeah, all of those things. I mean, I, I appreciate the uh, you sharing that study and what you describe is coercive control mm -hmm. um, and really um, diminishing a person until they believe that, you know, they, they would be unsafe to leave and that they can't leave and they're completely manipulated. So it, that's an interesting study and dynamic of um, power and control. I want to go back for a minute to the exhibit because we are audio only for this mm -hmm. show. Um, I want to give listeners a, a visual description of Lady A as she appears throughout the collection. So basically we 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 decided to use this painting uh, as a symbol of of the collection this is like a painting of like a, a woman who has a raised chin and is looking at her abuser with a strong sense of dignity and challenge in fact like she's saying do you know what it means to be punched on the face by the person you love I hold my tears while my nose is bleeding. I keep my dignity. I might bend, but you won't break me. Since this is the message uh, and the kind of attitude that I wanted this lady to have, she also has like, very distinctive characteristics, you know, um, one of which is having these like long eyelashes that are like exaggerated clearly just, you know, in mm -hmm. all the paintings, like the ladies that I paint have like this exaggerated like eyelashes that go yes. even like, you know, on the, um, uh, beyond the eyes, beyond the face. So the, what I wanted to um, capture there is, it's 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 a sensation is a moment of like when people specifically women but whoever has makeup to be to be honest with you mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh have just stopped crying you know and all the eyelashes are all like stick together as like you know yeah. few. yeah you know what i'm talking about i do and it's yeah we we like and most of the time you know the um, the makeup gets messed up and in most of the paintings in lady a2 it's not too strong but um her nose is is bleeding uh the makeup gets messed up and it blends in with 
the blood and the tears. So it's this mix of tears, blood and makeup that I, you know, I, I, I thought could have been like a very powerful image to give to provide the sensation of what it is to have this mess on your face and not understanding where, where, where the blood is coming from. Is this here? Where is the liquid? I, I heard like in yeah. a story that was terrible, like there was this, this woman who she was like, I kept touching my face and there was this mix of liquids that I didn't know where it was coming from. And it was, you know, blood, makeup, and, and, and tears. Yeah. And they, the, uh, the eyelashes are, are so shocking. They, they give me a sense of shock or, uh, disbelief or horror you know of, of what she just saw with her own eyes so to speak mm -hmm. um and the eyes in all of the paintings are very expressive everything is happening there and in many of the paintings we see lady a with visible signs of abuse or violence an enlarged eye, which might represent the outcome of a physical attack mm -hmm. or revealing her neck with my, what might be the scars from strangulation. Mm -hmm. And then also in the exhibit, there is the artist Frida mm -hmm. crying and Yoko Ono also crying. How does all of, all of these images fit together and paint the picture of abuse against women? So, yeah, there are um, a couple of um, concepts that I decided to develop through, um, you know, using metaphors, uh, using like colors and, and visual metaphors. That's how I try to call them. So the first thing is that the background of the paintings are always um, kind of uh, very colorful, but like plane the the idea it's this is very simple but i wanted to use contrast of these like plain colors to draw attention on the emotions expressed by the ladies so i always try to use loud colors as a background which in a way as i said is a metaphor for what is the setting of domestic violence loud screams also, like the color of the of the background, they never derail the viewer from the subject, which is like I don't want you know the, the background to be, be distracting, which where the subject instead uh, and the eyes and the emotions has to give you know a sort of like a punch of what are the feelings that this the the, the ladies are expressing. So um, you know, like there is a lot of like attempt i try a lot to draw attention on you know the emotions that that these ladies are 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 feeling and I'm trying to depict them you know different different kinds of uh, a rainbow of like different emotions that i i've seen women victims of domestic violence um have the the other interesting thing i i, I try not to be too just violent or bloody in the you know representation of 
of them we we know that like a blue on your face is pretty bad so by mm-hmm. try to keep it like also uh, the amount of blood like soft um not to be too disturbing and instead i wanted to put like to insert like other elements that maybe are not as disturbing as blood or like big scars but they make people reflect one of which is the neck and um you know like the idea is that um i mean my necks are not the long necks that modigliani painted okay <laughs> you know <laughs> the reference here is to strangulation unfortunately um yeah and to me that was that was crystal clear right yes. the, the, because marks on the neck depending on one's skin tone and the severity of the attack they can be very subtle and they can often be overlooked but the impact of non-fatal strangulation mm-hmm. uh, is very serious and can carry with a uh, survivor throughout her lifetime and sometimes she doesn't even realize the effects of it until yes. much later uh yes. with, uh you know traumatic brain injuries that can result dementia early onset dementia in fact um and so i i really appreciated the fact that you included mm-hmm. the neck as part of the image in in these in these paintings because that is a focal point that uh the we try to emphasize when at Genesis, uh, when we're talking about domestic violence and the impact of non-fatal strangulation. And also uh, we might add uh, that any attempt at strangulation of putting the hands around the neck of another person just increases her chances of being murdered by the abuser at some point. Yes. One of the things that gave me chills, if even thinking about it, um, I mean, first of all, the strangulation, we, we know from feminicide census that is the, one of the most common methods after stabbing that men use to kill women. Yeah. But like there was like a 2021 article that came out um, that kind of shocked me you know the 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 title was um i thought he was going to kill me an analysis of 204 cases files of adults reporting non-fatal strangulation as part of sexual assaults over three-year period i'm i'm sure you probably read about this the author the scientist is catherine white so among like and of course, I'm, I, you know, I'm a scientist, so I read, re- I read research most of the time. Right. And like yeah. that study, it's one of the, it, it definitely triggered a lot of my art. So I thank, you know, whoever did it and like the Catherine White actually who did it. And thank you for just putting all of this out because there are few things that are extremely, extremely important to underline about non-fatal strangulation first of all that okay most of the victims uh, were females 27 percent have been strangled before by the same abuser 
over one six have been strangulated to the point of losing consciousness. Most of this strangulation happened, like the 40% happened in their home and children were witnessing the strangulation. And around 50% has external injuries that, no, the other thing is that less than 50% had external injuries that result from the strangulation. So the point is that like they're not visible, but because of the, the, the dynamic of it, okay, they are extremely, they have the potentiality of becoming extremely harmful. Why? Well, because it's, it's, it's a very straightforward um, process. Like, you know, you block the, um, the, the, the abuser blocks the uh, jugular vein and doesn't allow oxygen and blood to get to the brain. And it's, it's very likely to cause a stroke with mm-hmm. just little amount of pressure. And what I what came out from this, you know, these studies and what I've learned from, um, you know, that like non-fatal strangulation that I realized after reading the literature on it is that, yeah, it is a bigger precursor to homicide, but these people are practicing murder one time after the other. They're just seeing trying to see how far they can get that's a really terrifying idea but i think an important element for all of us to understand when we're talking about domestic violence i'm curious in the exhibit itself physically um did you include information like that in the descriptions of the of the paintings Mm, not specifically actually but we actually what we want to do uh is to create a sort of like um i don't want to call it like a, a guide to the exhibit i just like a book that explains the art but also that you know, provides a lot of information about domestic violence, the research that has been done, the um, studies that have been done in regards to hypersexualization of like female figures, so on and so forth. So, you know, I want to create a, more than, than just, a, you know, something that goes with the exhibit, but I would like to create like a book that talks about all of this project. I, I think that's an excellent mm-hmm. idea. I would love to to see that as well. Um, let's kind of change the the topic for a minute and talk about art. So historically and even presently, women are objectified in every possible way through just about every medium. And art across the centuries has really normalized this objectification. Yes. But historically, unlike today, most celebrated artists were men. Mm-hmm. So as a woman painting women, how does gender influence the work in the images as opposed to how a man might paint a similar representations? Yeah, so that's why I thought about it a lot. And that partially also answer your question about Frida Kahlo, Yoko Ono, and, and, mm. and also like another figure that I decided to, um, to put in the collection, which is Anarent. 
um, it taps into all of, all of this, this idea. The first thing is that, yes, we do live in a world and we do read a history book where protagonists are men. So I wanted to give space to the collection of women who were, you know, very talented and accomplished and became like an icon of some kind of social justice, for instance. Um, I mean, Yoko Ono has been fighting violence since the 60s and in 2022 came out with an amazing um, art installation in the squares uh, all around the world reminding to people or asking to people to imagine peace the same way um frida kahlo it's a very interesting figure not just because she's a female artist that whose art honestly uh became more you know like more powerful and to me even more important than 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 diego rivera she's like an icon for um, Mexican women, an image of a very, very strong woman, yes, who never left her abuser. We're taught, we all know, like, you know, her life and how, uh, you know, she had like several problems, but she stayed her whole life with this man who cheated on her didn't respect her and then to me abuse her psychologically hopefully not physically we'll never know that but mm. she never left him this is an image of frida that people usually don't mention and i found it like extremely interesting that as a source of inspiration and uh, being living in Texas and living in Austin and we know um, there are a lot of, you know, Mexican women, I wanted to just, you know, paint a Frida that would inspire them to fight domestic violence. But also to point out that even the, the symbol of this, one of the strongest women that, you know, we, we, we know and painters, did not leave her abuser. Yeah, I, I mean, it is a very powerful image, um, the image of, of Frida. And I noticed that she is one of the paintings where we're looking at her head on and, and she's staring back at us mm -hmm. uh, with a full, you know, the full front of her face and her gaze is, is mm -hmm. upon us. Because I noticed in almost all of the other paintings, the face of the subject is never positioned full on. So the woman's head is turned or we see her profile or some other position where we're not really looking at her and she's not really turning to us mm -hmm. directly. So um, you started to talk about this uh, a little while ago when we were talking about the, the paintings is the position of her face or the features uh, part of the message of the work? Well, definitely. She's like looking straight, looking at, at the viewer. Um, yeah, the eyes are looking, but the face 
is is not always uh, positioned oh, directly. In the case of like other paintings, mm -hmm. well, it's more about trying to provide um, different angles and show different like emotions of you know these these ladies. The, in the case of the Frida, I wanted her to be challenging and to to be like, hey, you know. In the pool of domestic violence, I'm here present. It happened to me too, and I don't. I'm not. I'm not ashamed of it. The other interesting thing that I get asked a lot, and this was intentional. My Frida does not have the mono eyebrow, and she doesn't have mustaches, and mm. that is a strong reference to this hypersexualization of women. Is it like how can it be possible that? You know, there is so much emphasis on this, you know, eyebrow and massages that she was pretty, even if she had eyebrows, and these eyebrows are like she had massage. Like, seriously, we're talking about mm -hmm. an amazing woman and a very, very talented artist. Like, the emphasis on these features, it bothered me completely because it's completely pointless. Are we really going to remember her because, like, she got successful even if she had she didn't shave her massage right. we we all have massages okay like right. most of the women shave them right right you're absolutely right and it because her facial features didn't live up to an ideal that was established by men through art mm -hmm. over the millennia then she becomes this you know kind of anomaly yeah i specifically decided to omit these details about her because i, I, I don't think they're, I think they're relevant really we, sh we yeah. shouldn't we shouldn't focus on those at all you know we say a lot of people oh yes you defeat the mexican artist with the massage mm -hmm. no it's this is what it's all about like really Right. No, I'm with you. I mean, I'm completely with you on that. And one of my favorites in the images that I was able to see on the website is uh, the one called Tears. Mm -hmm. And very simply uh, depicts a, a close up of a, just one side of a woman's face uh, with some discoloration that that might be bruising or some combination of what you had described earlier of blood, makeup, uh, tears. And her eye is closed with mm -hmm. tears of what look like gold. Gold, yes. I use gold leaves there, yes. From the eye. And it's it, to me, it was very compelling. And it reminds me a little bit, just to give people kind of this a little bit more uh, of a visual on, on what it might look like, is that Gustav Klimt, uh, Woman in Gold, mm -hmm. um, where he uses the that pattern of gold in, in so many paintings of his subject Adele, which is, is not too much different from what you've done. You have the same subject in all of these different mm -hmm. uh, scenarios. And that painting, uh, Woman in Gold, has always kind of fascinated me, but it also disturbs me. Um, I mean, we don't have time to get, get into why <laughs> today. But um, I'd love to hear you describe the painting Lady of Tears. Yeah, that the decision of like making that painting um, and using gold for tears. I mean, usually tears are seen as a symbol of women's fragility. She's extremely sexist, if you think about it, because like, you know, there is one side of sexism that 
see women as those who are fragile and they need to be protected, okay? Um, so I decided that the first, the first, um, first idea I had is that like, number one, I wanted to make those tears that are criticized as a symbol of women's fragility, like made out of gold. And so I say, hey, it's because women have tears that are powerful. It's not, I don't want tears to be seen as something that it's demeaning or a symptom of fragility. Second thing comes from, again, um, this like critique that I've heard a lot about women crying given often given by you know by the abuser i heard in stories that they weren't crying annoyed their abusers they would often hear things like oh my god there she is crying again oh when are you gonna be done so there is a strong strong like it, when, when someone is crying you know like they're showing their emotions they're showing like their sadness they cannot hold them anymore like hearing that some you know that the, the abuser were complaining and not empathizing when they were seeing their victims crying it had a very strong impact of them whereas like there's nothing more beautiful than just you know show your emotions of like sadness and joy through tears and and that's i think that's okay it's a beautiful thing yeah i really appreciate that description because i think tears represent more than um they definitely represent more than fragility but um they're also passion and feeling and you know being absorbed in in a moment or or an experience and that to me was was probably one of the, the most powerful um, images that I took away from the exhibit, uh, The Power of the Other Hand. And let's talk about that title for a minute, The Power mm -hmm. of the Other Hand. T tell us what that means to you. So, um, that, yeah, the idea was this. It was very simple. Um, you know, The Power of the Other Hand is not clearly there is a reference to the hand that punches that strangles um the victim but it's also the hand who says stop to violence and it's also the hand that starts making art to help victims of domestic violence so it's very simple and straightforward yeah it is i uh, i think just to take it maybe even a, a little further it's the courage to make a statement like that through art or a medium that uh you know is conventionally used to express a lot of beauty mm -hmm. um and it's it's the art is beautiful but when you really understand what is behind it, whose hands are all over that, you know, whose, whose blood is all over that, 
uh, that image of violence or the remnants of the violence on on her face, you can see how how effective it can be. It can really reach people in a way that that these podcasts or data or um, a news story just don't reach people. Uh, sometimes, you know, we are a very, very visual world, right? We're becoming more and more visual. Images are everything. Videos are everything when we're talking about um, any subject. And so having that, it's really in your face, if you would pardon the pun, um, the, you know, seeing all of those faces and the damage of, of mm -hmm. what abuse can do. Um, I also think the power of the other hand means she has a voice, you know, I mean, it, it comes through in different ways, but it does give her a voice in this conversation about what domestic violence is and what it means to be a victim or a survivor. Yeah. The, um, yeah. I, I completely agree with you in a way. The idea I had is to use art beyond its aesthetic purpose otherwise i would have never done it because like i don't even think that you know i'm so self-critic as a scientist even imagine like i would have never started painting because like i don't I, that's why i involved other people that i think are better than me but the point is that like i the point is not that my art is beautiful the point is that like i want my art to have a social mission mm -hmm. yeah to get people in contact with what it means to you know be a victim of domestic violence and it goes beyond the aesthetic of it so when i that was like maybe what i needed to unlock in order to start showing this because you know i if i've never done it in the first 40 years of my life i i thought i would have never done it after you know it's, it's in a way it's easier to write a scientific paper and you know hide behind the formality of science but just you know showing your art and then you know just thinking that there is you know value in it it's it's very difficult um and yeah, I, I mean it's, that, that, it, it's i'm very self-critic but besides that i was like it, it's not about the aesthetic of it it's no. about the mission yeah and it's very raw these are some very raw uh paintings that we're seeing and it makes you vulnerable right and it makes all of us vulnerable to your point earlier of everyone is at risk of being a victim of some type of violence or domestic violence and so uh, it can be difficult to digest the images and the message because they are very, very personal and can speak to each of us in a whole variety of different ways, whether you know it expresses our own vulnerability toward um, becoming a victim or that of a loved one or someone we know who may have been a victim uh, or is. Um, do you plan to paint... Uh, more more along this uh this theme or or anything else that we should yes for? i am um, yeah i have like i i i'm actually i have more than a hundred paintings i'm only yeah. showing some of them <laughs> uh i i am i tend to be a very productive person 
person. Also because like, look, I don't watch TVs. So that's how I spent my yes. nights. Let yeah. me put it in this way. Uh, so instead of like watching TV, I'm, I enjoy painting. Uh, I have more and more and more painting. And then uh, I, I am going to now have hopefully uh, for sure, like three or four other exhibits. I would like to, do more involve more artists we are considering like to have like a mural here in rome or like somewhere else and to involve like art students maybe yeah male art students yeah it would be really interesting i i'm sure i'd love to see what uh, your future collections look like where can people see the exhibits the power of the other hand and learn more about your work so we are like Mm, right now we are preparing the next art exhibit which is going to be at the end of uh, at the end of October uh, at the at the law school uh, at the University of Texas in Austin okay so we're gonna have like six paintings there and then we're gonna be selling prints and the money we you know we get from it is going to go either to research or to an institution that physically support uh, domestic violence victims and I want to make that like super clear um, so that's going to be the next one and I think in the spring for sure we are organizing another fundraise with another collection so we are you know painting and you know working working on it uh, mostly like on the website or on social medias. Uh, we're just about to have an event, so we're going to be more active. So That is so exciting. I'm going to have to get myself down to Austin in October. Mm -hmm. uh, tell us your website before we let you go. So the name of the website is thepoweroftheotherhem.com. And you can find us on Instagram and Twitter, but I think we're more active on Instagram because like, it seems like um yeah it's very visual yeah it's very perfect visual. place perfect place dr salvi thank you so much for talking with me today yeah thank you for having me and for giving me this space attention spanish-speaking listeners listen to the end of this podcast for information on how to reach a spanish-speaking representative of genesis atención hispanohablantes escucha este podcast hasta el final para recibir información de cómo comunicarse con el personal de Genesis en español. If you or someone you know is in an abusive relationship, you can get help or give help at genesisshelter.org or by calling or texting our 24-7 crisis hotline team at 214-946-HELP, 214-946-4357. Bilingual services at Genesis include text, phone call, clinical counseling, legal services, advocacy, and more. Call or text us for more information. Donations to support women and children escaping domestic violence are always needed. Learn more at genesisshelter.org slash donate. Thanks for joining us. And reminding you always that ending domestic violence begins when we believe her. Genesis, el podcast, anuncia servicios bilingües disponibles en Genesis Women's Shelter y Support. Si usted o una conocida está en una relación abusiva, puede recibir ayuda o dar ayuda a genesisshelter.org o por llamar o mandar mensaje de texto a nuestra línea de crisis de 24 horas al 214-946-4357. 
Servicios bilingües de Génesis incluyen mensajes de texto, llamadas, consejería, servicios legales, asesoría y más. Llámenos o mándenos un text para más información. Siempre se necesitan donaciones para apoyar a los, las mujeres o a los niños escapando de la violencia doméstica. Aprende más a nuestra página de internet en genesisshelter.org barra inclinada donate. Gracias por unirse con nosotros. Recuerden que el terminar la violencia doméstica empiece cuando creemos a la víctima.